0: Hello and welcome back to the thirteenth episode of the Read It Right show. This time we have a cricket broadcaster all the way from Australia. He is none other than Paul Dennett. Paul is a very popular cricket broadcaster down in Australia. He is the co-host of the Big Smash Cricket Podcast. He is also a regular host on the Cricket Unfiltered Podcast, which is very popular in Australia. And he has a sizable Twitter following. He knows his social media game. So today we are here with Paul to talk about cricket, social media, his future plans, and some more, so so watch right till the end of the video to know more. How are you feeling about the recent development in the world of cricket? There's a lot happening, there's the hundreds, there's the IPL.
1: Well, I think the biggest development from an Australian point of view is obviously you were still remembering the loss to India, yeah. And um, we don't have any excuses this time that um, two years ago when Smith and Warner weren't available, we could sort of say, Yeah, well, it wasn't our best side, but. This time around, it wasn't India's best side, and um, India's B-side, uh, effectively, yeah. beat Australia pretty bad. So oh, what I've been saying on the um, on the Cricket Unfiltered podcast that we're on, to very much to the annoyance of my co-hosts, is that I think that um, we Australians have got to get used to this, because I just can't see how India won't dominate cricket in the coming years. That with the huge population, uh, the IPL bringing so many youngsters on board, Seems to be a growing wealth in the game and professionalism. And um, Australia, much to my um, fury, we, we have other sports that sometimes our, our cricketers go to. That um, Shane Warne, if he was about three centimetres taller, would never have played cricket. He was yeah. um, an Australian, Australian rules footballer playing uh, reserve grade football for one of the clubs in Melbourne. Right. And they said, look, you're not quite tall enough. Um, we're going to end your football career. And so he said, oh, well, I'll give cricket a go. And so if he'd been a little bit taller, um, he would have been a middling Australian rules footballer, um, quite famous in Australia probably, but no one outside Australia would have heard of him. So you factor all that in together and I wonder when we're next going to beat India.
0: (laughs) Right, right, right. So, uh, So your answer touches upon a lot of aspects that I want to also talk about, but we'll get to that. Uh, But first, uh, let's talk about you, Paul. Uh, I happened to check your website recently. Before that, I knew you primarily through your Twitter account. Uh, And I was not aware of your multiple abilities. You write on cricket, you broadcast, you podcast. You also provide social media consultation for brands. You help brands improve their content copies for readability and better English. So how do you manage to wear so many hats at the same time?
1: well. it's probably because I wear them all pretty badly. When sat here, I'm off to um, I'm actually off to a 1990s themed party now. So I'm dressed as if I'm from the 1990s, and it's um, probably suits me. But um, oh, I think that um, I've just tried a few different things over the over the last few years. I used to be in banking, and um, more recently, that's what I've been doing. I, I, Twitter was kind of where I first kind of really fell in love with with social media. I just thought that, particularly back in its kind of its heyday, which I think its um its heyday was more like 20. 2013, 2014, 2015—a yeah. around period where it seemed a little bit more fun, maybe, than it is now. And it just seemed it was it was going to explode and become the the dominant social media platform. Mm-hmm. It never quite got there. It was—I mean, funnily enough, Donald Trump, who I you know have uh, mm-hmm. cannot stand, but mm-hmm. the one the one good thing the one good thing that Donald Trump did was that he kind of helped prop Twitter up because it was. Um, yeah. Because of Donald Trump, Twitter kept um, kept being relevant for a few years, and so, um, but yeah, I think that um, the, yeah, the idea came to me. Why don't I um, create an account just about cricket, and I can be um, kind of feel no shame about tweeting, you know, ninety nine percent about cricket, and if people don't like cricket, then they'll pretty quickly <laughs> realise they shouldn't follow me, and it kind of uh, went yeah. from there. And, uh, it all began actually the 2014-15 Australia-India uh, series where I realised mm-hmm. that India were going to be in Australia for about 100 days when you've added it in the World Cup as well. And so I thought maybe uh, I could give an Australian perspective back to India as to what it might be like and it kind of, kind of went from there.
0: Okay. So tell us more about your journey in the world of cricket broadcasting. You said you were a banker before this. So how did you manage to switch gears?
1: Uh, well, I mean, I, I, I um, got a got involved in uh podcasting I was doing one of my own and then um Andrew Mentzel who is the host of the Cricket Unfiltered podcast uh must have I think he heard one of my other podcasts and invited me on and it's kind of um I I mean whatever little success I've had as far as um uh, getting into cricket has come from from there that um uh I've got some um opportunities to call Sheffield Shield games and um a few things like that and then um uh, i think also from twitter i for a while there i was doing a few things on um um on, on star sports where they would um they'd have the the, the blogosphere, um section yeah. of their show where i used to be doing a few things like that with um with some of them and uh, so radio interviews um the the 29 in ashes were quite fun because there was a, a radio station in England that would call me each day to get my take on the on the cricket and it's always fun talking to England radio about cricket because you realise that all they really want to talk about is football. Um, yeah. <laughs> and any time they talk about cricket, it's very much like they, re- they recognise that half their audience are about to turn off. And so yeah. they have to have banter, banter, banter. Otherwise, everyone's going to switch away. So it's very different preparing for a radio interview um, in England right. than, than I might have done a podcast with India where the first question from the podcast in India would be a highly detailed um Forensic question about Indian domestic <laughs> cricket, God. <laughs> Whereas then I'd be back to England, and like you know, is it Shane Warner Goose? What, what, what's that guy on about? And he sort of very much <laughs> right. Ends of the
0: spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, talking about the world of cricket broadcasting, do you think there is, by and large, a bias against broadcasters who have not played cricket uh, on their own? And uh, uh, speaking of such broadcasters, we can only think of Harsh Bhogle. Uh, he's one of them. Uh, other, than that, uh, other than that, they are
1: predominantly ex-cricket players. So do you think there's a bias going on? Definitely. It's almost... Um, bias is not even a strong enough term, really. It's almost... It's, it's like if you haven't played cricket, um, you're virtually not even considered. I mean, there used to be an ad on Australian television for Channel 9's um, Wide World of Sports, which was back when they had the cricket and they had lots of other big sporting events. And the ad was basically... Um, if you haven't played the game, you're not going to be on our team, and that is jingle. Like you know, they sort of basically they showed that in their cricket commentary, it was all ex Australian captains. In their rugby league commentary, it was all ex Australian captain. It was almost like saying, "Don't even dream about coming on our show unless you've not only played the sport but played it at the very, very highest level." And to be fair to them, they got they they often got players who could con- who could communicate. So like Tony Gregg, yeah, he'd been an England captain, but I think he was just a fantastic broadcaster. In his own right, same as Richie Benno, and you know, there's certainly a place for, for those guys because you do want to get that um, that yeah. view from people who've been there. But it, it does irritate me a little bit when ex players um, swan up and they they really they've spent their whole life playing cricket. How could they possibly have anything interesting to say about cricket? <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, you sometimes, you yeah, sometimes but think. Oh. I, I think the internet has played a very pivotal role in
0: democratizing uh, this space, and I think that's that's a great thing. Uh, otherwise, we wouldn't be knowing of you, Paul, and your uh, awesome hot takes on cricket on your Twitter
1: and uh, longer takes on your podcasts. Well, it's amazing how much it's changed. That I used to watch cricket, and you know, I'd be frustrated, and um, uh, I'd want to say something, and all I could say it to was my family or friends. And so yeah. that's one of the great things about um, about social media. That, um, that uh, and the and the newest one along the, the TikTok, which is quite—I mean, I know it's banned <laughs> in India now, but yeah. it was going great for a while that of all the social media, its algorithm is so uh, reactive and so um, intelligent that you could put yeah. a video up your first ever video and you have no followers. And if it happens to catch fire, then, you know, you can get um, lots of viewers. I The first ever video I put up on TikTok was me writing with a pen and paper okay. Don Bradman's sco- <laughs> Bradman scores in the 1928-29 test series and um, what he'd done in each innings. And I thought, you know TikTok famously people who are fifteen and seventeen years old. No one's going to watch this. And I went to bed, and it had eighty views. And I woke up, and it had five thousand views. And I thought, well wow, that's um, you know, this is, <laughs> and it became addictive thereafter. That you could kind of, um, uh, as I said, the algorithm. If, if the if the video caught fire, it caught fire regardless of how many um, viewers you might have might have had. Sadly, the ones subsequent to that didn't do quite so well. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Right. So, so uh, coming to the IPL, the IPL is currently uh, going on in India. Uh, what is very pleasantly surprising is the ability to strictly enforce a bio bubble and keep the players, the support staff, and the commentators safe. But we must not forget that India is also in the middle of a very crazy COVID uh, nineteen peak. The IPL going on, you know, in this situation has led to calls from certain quarters who are saying, uh, "Stop the IPL!" You know, this is this is bad optics so how how do you view such calls
1: well it's very it's very difficult i mean i Jalisa apps and i who are two of the co-hosts on cricket unfiltered discussed this very topic in our last podcast and we kind of had a friendly disagreement where she said you know the in, in a a really difficult situation like that you don't want to rob people of pleasure and that if if the, if everyone's really struggling at least if you've got the cricket on, then yeah. that, that's something to look mm. forward to. And cancelling it, how is that going to really um, improve the situation? And I, I certainly see that point of view, but I, I sort of feel like a point might have been reached now where, you know, in um, in times of real national trouble, and that's what I think India is in, yeah. that you, you almost have to send a signal to say things are not normal. Um, mm. We're not going through normal times. We do need to cancel things like the IPL. Um, I don't think it's a great look on the IPL when you see people there with their masks hanging down below their, yeah. below their face. And just sort of, um, yeah, I don't want to be sort of the fun police, but I think that, um, put it this way, I think Australia has, an, has a reputation of being a fun-loving country, whereas we actually follow rules quite strictly. And I think yeah. if, the, if the equivalent tournament was on in Australia right now and if we were in the same situation as India was in, we would have cancelled it long ago. And that's not to say we're right and, and, and that India yeah, is wrong. Yeah. It's just to say culturally, as I said, we, we're known as party people and, you know, where's the next beer coming from? But mm-hmm. if the if the street sign says don't walk, we tend not to walk. And I think that that's how we probably approach it, which is, um, yeah, just a difference in culture, I think. Right. And, and uh, do you think if that were to happen, if the
0: tournament were to stop uh, midway, uh, do you think the um, IPL has some alternate arrangements like Dubai or somewhere? else because there's a lot
1: of money riding on this tournament yeah i i'd imagine it'd be very difficult to uh pick it up holus bolus and move it to the uae midway through the tournament and they would make the point they would make the point that as you said we've kept by and large the bubble intact Mm um i I sort of think that my instinct would be if it was to be cancelled it would have to be cancelled and that they would resist they would resist that very very strongly And I'm sure many people would be agreeing that that's the right thing to do to keep it going. Um, And that um, I I tend to think it probably will keep going. uh, But, yeah, I'd probably cancel it.
0: Right, right. So, uh, Liam Livingstone of the Rajasthan Royals, he recently flew back to England citing bio-bubble fatigue. So, given that now we are in what is turning out to be a permanent pandemic, do you think that dealing with bubble fatigue is yet another thing that cricketers will just have to get uh, adjusted to?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's been a, um, it's the sort of thing I think that the bio bubble, and I've never been in hotel quarantine, I've, the closest I've been is when we've had, um, um, I, I got tested for coronavirus a few months ago, and I had to then for therefore stay at home till the results came back, and that was, uh, I think, 36 hours before I got the results, and I couldn't leave the house, and I just sort of thought, imagine if this was to go on week after week after week, um, I could see how it might be fun for a day or two and then it would get very, very difficult. And they always say that, you know, when the, the cricketers were in Manchester and, and they were staying at their hotel that, you know, you get a duck and you uh go home and then you're home, you're still at the same cricket ground. You open up the windows and there's the ground that you've got a duck on that you kind of um you can't get away with it. And I think that last winter in England, West Indies and Pakistan started really strongly, but by the end of it all, they were both sort of um really starting to struggle and they were kind of over it. So Oh, look, I, I hope that we can vaccinate our way out of this and that somehow in the not-too-distant future, the need for uh, for bubbles disappears. But as you say, I, I think it's going to be with us for a little while, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, right. So uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, wokeness coming into cricket as of now. Uh, the Wall Street Journal recently wrote uh, an article titled Even in Picket, No Rest from the Woke. The article was basically about ESPN Crick and Poe's decision to only use the term batters for batsmen which apparently brings about greater gender equality.
1: Um, So how do you view the move? Well, I think that I would object to that description of it, that I think that woke has become a disparaging term. I said it actually in the last podcast that I remember when I was a boy, uh, it's not that long ago, um, girls, if they wanted to play cricket, there was no girls league that they could play. They could play against the boys in the under 10s, and that was kind of tolerated and celebrated. Right. But from then on, if a girl wanted to continue and play in the under-12s, it was like, no, 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 no. This is um, – um. I remember once we played another team and they had a girl in it and it was kind of uh, – everyone was talking, oh, they've got a girl, they've got a girl. This was in the under-12s. And that was the end. Um. And so you had all these uh, potential cricket fans who were totally excluded from playing the game. And yet, um, as the years go on, uh, the cricket boards around the world would love nothing more than those same people to be – Uh, watching on TV to bolster their TV rights, buying product and and going to the grounds. And so I think that thankfully it's really switched here. I walk around my local park, there's girls playing just as much as the boys. Um, The the women's Big Bash in Australia is, I mean, it outrates the soccer in Australia, the men's soccer. It is really, really doing well. It's doing well because Cricket Australia has said we're going to pay these people a professional wage. They can quit their jobs. They can play it professionally and properly. And so I think that making a few other changes about calling from batsmen to batters, um, look, once you get used to it, it's, it's. I think it's not too much to ask for a, a man to say batter rather than yeah. batsman. It's going to mean that half the population who have been forever alienated from the sport but will but no longer feel quite similar. Yeah, fair enough. But
0: don't you think that's merely lip service? You know, what they could instead do is improve the uh, structure of women's cricket down right to the domestic level, first-class cricket? and uh, that would be a far greater and more impactful change to have
1: yeah but i think you can do both and i suppose cricket info would say it's not up to us not up to us to improve the structures of first class cricket we can only control what we can control cricket australia would say we have that in the last 3 or 4 years the uh the investment in women's cricket has just gone through the roof um i, I think that the the bcci is where um yeah. they need to start saying we're going to make a, a women's IPL and do it more than just a few exhibition games. I, I think that that's something they've, um, they've really missed the boat on. And, and as soon as they do that, I think that Indians uh, women's cricket will, will absolutely surge forward. So I, I don't think it has to be an either-or sort of thing. Right, right, right. So the BCCI has
0: recently agreed to send uh, Indian men's and women's cricket teams um, uh, if the sport were to be included as the Los Angeles 2028 Olympics. So do you think there is a strong case for cricket to be included in the Olympics. And if yes, then, uh, you know, what form or shape would that take? You you think it would be a 50-overs
1: game? It would be, I don't know. Like, what do you think? I've got two strong views on this. From an Olympic point of view, I don't think cricket should be in there. I think that there are already far too many sports in the Olympics. I always think of the Olympics, it should be about, you know, running and swimming and cycling and a few others but it's it's meant to be about the really premium sort of sports and you know a lot of people um have sort of thought that it has become overblown and there are too many sports and i would you know i think that golf and tennis in the olympics they probably don't really belong there i'd put cricket in that category but from a cricket point of view yes definitely if they want us in there we should have been in there 20 years ago i mean there's no downside from having cricket in the Olympics there's no downside at all um it's the uh along with the soccer world cup it's the biggest sporting event in the world um the money that would flow in the exposure that would flow in i, I can't see any downside and look if they want to make it t10 to make it so that it's a nice short um short and sharp competition then i'm fine with that and i'm fine if it's a little bit of a gimmick um i just think that if they're going to open the door to cricket throw cricket in i don't think it should be 50 overs because i think that to the uninitiated they'd be watching that and thinking what's going on here? These guys are just tapping the ball and jogging singles. Hmm. So, yeah, I mean, maybe T10's the answer. I watched a bit of the T10 League in um, the UAE a month ago and I find it quite entertaining. It's kind of um, having a lifetime of knowing that the first ball of a Test match, we're going to get a result five days from now. It's quite exhilarating to know that, oh, this game's going to be over in 90 minutes and I'm going to get a result. It feels like a reward for all the time I've watched um, Test cricket.
0: (laughs) Right, right. So England is recently abuzz with the 100s tournament. So when T20s first came onto the scene, there was a lot of um, criticism. Of course, it was eventually adopted. Then there are the T10s, then there are the the 100s. So why do you think there's always a state of churning in cricket? Why can't
1: we just let the game be? Well, I suppose one answer to that is that we've somehow managed to settle upon a uh, kind of a A 19th century format of our sport as our main uh, as our prime sport that you would never create test cricket today um it just it's just um it's something from a bygone era and so i suppose um when you know when one day cricket sort of burst onto the scene i mean initially in the in england in the 1960s and then uh through the world into the 1970s and the 1975 world cup what, what what was the choice to sort of say wow this is really popular so let's cancel test cricket well None of us really wanted that. I wasn't around then, but no one really wanted that. Same thing now. No one really wants to cancel test cricket. Um, so we've got this bizarre situation with three, formats. As you say, you add in the T10, that's a fourth. The 100 is different as, again. Uh, it's just a unique situation where the sport is adapting. And, um, and, you know, you look at baseball, a sport that probably has a little bit of that similarity where maybe if they're going to create baseball today, instead of it being nine innings, it might be six innings and they'd make a few changes it's very difficult for them because every time they try to change it, they're changing the existing only format of the sport. And the, the devotees of it in America, of which there are many, many millions, don't want any change. So I suppose yeah. cricket does have the luxury. We can experiment and tinker with the other formats. And that's what I think with the 100, that I don't care what they do. If they want to call them out, if they want to um, use a tennis racket instead of a ball, as long as we still have test, uh, use a tennis racket instead of a cricket bat, as long as we still have test cricket and the, the, those forms of the game, I'm, I'm fine for us to muck around with the, um, the short-form game to try to get more people um, involved in it and interested in it.
0: Right, that, that's that's actually a very balanced uh, view. Uh, so there is an increasingly... Um, there is a view that is increasingly gaining currency uh, around the world. It's about the power of the BCCI over the ICC, both administratively and financially as well. So how do you think it affects the, the world of cricket um, do you think the BCCI is too powerful for the good of other countries? This uh, one-sided dominance, is it getting a bit too much now?
1: Well, I think it reflects reality. That I think uh, where I've read that something like 87% of all the income in the game comes from India. And I- I've criticised the BCCI before and I, I continue to criticise them. But I wouldn't for a second want it to be any different in the sense that if India didn't play cricket. Cricket would be a nothing sport. You know, it would be played by um, virtually no one. Australia and England um, would play it, and there'd be a little bit of New Zealand and South Africa, and that's it. It would be a sport along the side. It would be as big as lawn bowls a, as a world game. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, with India, with 1.4 billion people, and, you know, Pakistan, 200 million, and Bangladesh, nearly 200 million, and um, the diaspora around the world, that you can make an argument that whether it's the second biggest team sport or maybe the third biggest team sport after soccer and basketball, I'd much rather have that and be a bit annoyed with the BCCI than just having a game played by um, a couple of dudes in Sydney and London. But I think where the BCCI I sometimes think is that they enjoy the fact that, ah, we're running the game now. You guys ignored us for decade after decade and you treated us um, pretty poorly. Now the boot's on the underfoot and we kind of enjoy the fact that we're in charge. And I, I, can, I can get that, but I think that it um, that does need to be a balance where that they need to sort of say... Um, sometimes we've got to act um, for, for the global good of the game. And if it sometimes means that we have to sort of behave better than we thought they behaved towards us in the years gone past, that would be great. I don't think they always act against the interests of the game, of course. I think they do lots yeah. of good things. But there are times when I think probably everyone's gone, oh, b we're a bit frustrated by you this time. But yeah. um, as I said, I, I, I'd much rather that than have no, um, no global prominence for the sport at all. Great, right.
0: right.
1: So you know, recently in the world of football,
0: we saw a very major controversy over the European uh, Super League. So, do you think cricket is more, you know, comfortable with such revolutionary changes? We had Kerry Packer and the World Cricket Series. We had the IPL. We had the failed ICL. We have T10s and even the hundreds. So, do you think cricket, by its uh, the short format of the game, by its very nature, is uh, more comfortable with
1: changes? That's a good question. Uh, I think, again, it points to the fact that with cricket, we've kept the solid structures of test matches um, to a degree largely unchanged. And so, you know, it, that you're adding on rather than, than completely changing. And I, I think with Kerry Packard's World Series revolution, the big difference was that the players were being paid abysmally. That um, the cricketers in Australia in the 1970s were getting paid virtually the same amount of money that the, their counterparts got paid in the 1930s. And you know, 40 years have gone by and that yeah. there are all these stories of, um, you know, um, such and such a player can't go on this tour to England. Why? Well, because he runs a shop and there's no one else to run his shop while he's gone. He'll go bankrupt if he goes. So instead of playing for Australia, he's got to stay home and uh, you know, run his shop. And then, you know, they'd have um, 75,000 people going up to the MC and look around and think, why are we getting, you know, almost no money? Where's all this money going to? So I think that... Um, It was ripe for the picking, and that compares very differently to the current situation in Europe, where the players are getting paid um, fantastic wages. So I think there's a, I think there's a real difference there. But yeah, also I think that um, cricket probably is a little bit more uh, able to be nimble, um, you know, just because of the different way that the game is structured um, to to soccer. I think that it's sometimes hard to compare the two. Yeah,
0: yeah. So uh, you know, Paul, you've been uh, you've been a broadcaster, you've been a social media kind of a consultant for brands you've been a podcaster as well and um so which medium are you the most comfortable with when it comes to
1: talking about oh, i'd say probably podcasting and radio um i think that uh, i mean i've i've not really done much um actual television so i think that i always find it quite difficult to um <laughs> whenever we film the podcast and release little bits on social media i I cringe because I'm swaying and I'm carrying on and because I'm so focused on what I'm saying that I, I sort of move my body all over the shop where if I was doing that on television, I'd be kicked out within about 30 seconds, I think. So I really like, um, I love the notion of, of audio and the fact that, um, you know, someone can be walking their dog and uh, be listening to our podcast and they can kind of be uh, in another world almost as though we're in the same room having a conversation and whether they are in Sydney or in Mumbai or in London um, I think it's a wonderful a wonderful evolution of the way that um, audio has worked, that, that podcasts now have such big reach.
0: Right, right, right. So what does the future hold for Paul Dennett? Uh, what
1: landmarks are you looking forward to this year? Um, oh, I think that um, uh, we're looking to continue to grow the podcast um, and, and see what we can do in that front. Um, and, you know, I think that we... we been very keen to go and travel around the world a bit with the podcast and uh, broadcast from other countries and that's been uh, obviously hit on the head with the pandemic so from a cricketing point of view I'm hoping that um, normality can be restored because I'd love to be able to uh, enjoy the the t twenty world cup um, and we've got a big summer in Australia with the um, the ashes which is always huge um, I'm looking forward to India's tour of England I think that's going to be um, fascinating just I think there's something really special uh, from an Australian point of view of watching cricket from England in winter because um, starts at eight o'clock, finishes at three in the morning. Um, it's quite quite cool in the evenings here and the night here. You know the lovely vista of the English grounds, and then when you throw in the fact that I think England versus India could be one of the most competitive series in a long time. And I mean, if India can win this series, then there's nothing to sort of um, stand in their way of saying that I think this is the 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 best team in the world of this era by some margin and i already think that's best the best indian side ever but you know to really put an exclamation mark on that they need to win in england i think
0: right 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 so so paul as you speak the sun seems to be uh, uh, growing hotter
1: in your background Uh, what is the temperature there um it's about probably only about 22 degrees or something like that it's quite a um Quite a pleasant day, but not not all that hot. We're kind of um, getting towards the end of autumn now. Um, we've got right. one month left of autumn and then winter. A lot of people probably say it's the best time of year in um, in Sydney at the moment with um, kind of cool nights and, 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 and pleasant warm days. And, um, yeah, I mean, um, sometimes in summer with the last few years, the, the heat has become ridiculous. So it's pretty yeah. nice this time of year. Right, right. So,
0: Paul, I've had a very good, very stimulating Saturday morning over here in India. Uh, thank you for your time this was really great um, you were the first cricket uh, broadcaster to come on my interview uh, show and thank you i'm sure you will be coming more often you'll be joining us again soon uh, in the
1: future thank you for your time my pleasure so I had a great time and yeah anytime happy to come back